There's a halfway point in Ephesians. It's only six chapters. Um, first three chapters are very doctrinal in nature. Really tell us a lot of uh, a real concrete truth of how, how it is. Um, and the second three chapters of Ephesians are very practical. What does this look like in the life of the believer? And it goes through kind of pockets. Like, let's talk about this for a second. 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 And as we go through it, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand that we have already walked through some pretty awesome uh, but intense you know, doctrinal issues of, of Ephesians, of how the children of God are, are chosen, uh, that they're part of, a, of the great plan of redemption that God has put in place, that his plan of redemption started before the foundation of the earth, it says, and will continue on um, into eternity. And we are part of that. We are brought into that, God's great plan of redemption. And so that being understood, all of you followers, all of you Christ followers, those of you who are believers, speaking specifically to the people who are in the city of Ephesus, what does that actually look like day to day on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What, what does this look, how does this play out beyond just having information about God and his connection and relationship with you? What does it look like in the day to day? So Ephesians chapter 5 uh, we're going to read 1 through 16. Can I have somebody read that? If you have the ESV, please. Do you have that, Hannah? Um, out loud so that everyone hears well. If you please follow along. Ephesians 5, 1 through 16. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talks, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as, as un, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Thank you. I'd like to first draw our attention to verse 3. It says, um, But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. And again, saints are not speaking of Catholic saints or people who have been ordained as saints, but it's very specifically and and simplistically believers, Christ followers. Um, Saints are people who have been set aside, which is what it means to be holy. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5, this is rather emphatic. You may be sure of this, 
that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Pretty, pretty strong language here. And as you continue reading in this section, there's a very undeniable theme of, of sexuality. Uh, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, that is, idolatry or being an idolater. Um, it says the sexually immoral, the impure, and the covetous, uh, those who covet, shall have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And it says in verse... Um, Sorry, uh, six, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is, it's, it's serious. Um, and as we work through the rest of Ephesians, we see different things that have to do with uh, stealing, um, giving, um, being a good, a good husband, being a good wife, like uh, different levels of just stuff. But Paul is, is taking some time here and really dealing with a, a, a matter of, of gravity, um, of sexual sins. And so when it talks about sexual immorality and impurity, it's, it's really covering the, the scope, the broad scope of sexual sins, not just adultery, not just fornication, but just the, the, the entire scope. Um, Colossians, I'll read this to you. You can flip there if you want to. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put them to death. Put these specific things to death, because the wrath of God is coming. Galatians chapter 5 says, Now that the works of the flesh are evident, it's obvious what happens in our sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and idolatry. Um, Again, really covering the broad nature of sin. Maybe you've heard this statement before. Um, Maybe I've heard people say, you know, that God sees all sin equally, you know. Sin is sin. And that's not biblical. Um, there, there are levels of sin. Um, the statement is only true in the sense that the, the smallest sin can condemn you, can, can, can break the relation, the perfect relationship between you and God. So if you, if you, if you have categories of sin, maybe... Uh, a small deceit is the, is, the, is the smallest type of sin you could do. Um, that's enough to, um, to cause condemnation and eternity in hell. We, we see that in Scripture, um, that God demands perfection. But we can't simply say that all sin is equal. Um, because there are greater punishments and that there are greater consequences for certain sins that we see throughout Scripture. For example, um, Scripture is very clear that it says that uh, teachers will be held more accountable. You've heard the text that talks about a millstone being tied around your neck. Have you heard about that? If you lead children astray, 
It's, it's drawing attention to that. This is, this is a big deal. Um, as I've worked with people in ministry over the years, I've, I've tried to encourage folks to, and said, you know, if you're going to lead, you know, if you're going to lead a community group, if you are going to stand in front of a group, if you're going to lead worship, if you're going to teach the word, you need to recognize that there's a higher level of expectation and accountability that is on you, and you will be judged in a greater way because other people are watching you. It's, it's a greater sin. It's, uh, it's a greater sin to lie to somebody standing in front of, of a group claiming biblical authority. Um, if you look at examples um, in marriage, I know that most of you aren't married, um, but uh, I am, and if I were to lie to my wife, uh, that would be a, a sin. I would need to confess that both to God and to, and to her and to repent of it. Um, it's not grounds for her to leave me biblically. If I were to commit a sexual sin, it breaks the covenant. It's a big deal. Uh, it says in Matthew chapter 5, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Saying that I, I, I might sin in, in several different ways against my wife, but if it's a sexual sin, it's a deal breaker. It's a, it's a big deal. Like, broken. Like, counsel from, I believe, a, a biblical counselor would say, you now um, have every right, right to leave him. You know, you, you, can, you still should forgive, but that doesn't mean that the marriage is saved. You can forgive, and you can save the, the marriage, but he, he did that sin. It's a bigger deal. Um, elders who have been elected in the church are held to a higher standard. And when an elder in the church sins um, and is unrepentant, First Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, says, Do not admit a charge against an elder. This is speaking to elders and pastors. We would consider them the same here at East Cooper. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, speaking of elders and pastors, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. This sounds harsh, and it doesn't sound politically correct. Um, but if a pastor or an elder, um, you could be disqualified to be a pastor or an elder because of sexual sin, as opposed to other sins where you may not be disqualified. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a sinner, and I'm still qualified to be a pastor. If I were to commit a sexual sin, I would be relieved of my job, biblically. Not because he scoopers mean, um, I would lose my job. Um, and I would, uh, if I were unrepentant, I would be rebuked in front of the church as an example to, to be afraid in, in, a, in a godly way. Um, we just had to do this at East Cooper. It's terrible. Um, we had an elder who was uh, unfaithful and unrepentant. Um, we hate it. We don't like it. Um, but we take the word of God seriously. And uh, it says that there are higher consequences for certain sins. Um, and the church, the body of believers, must take that very seriously. Um, 
So we wrote a very uh, biblical, I believe very appropriate letter that was read to the church body as the church uh, leadership had taken several steps to help this man um, return to his family. And he said, I'm not interested over and over and over. Um, And again, we don't do that to embarrass, but it says it right here that sexual sins uh, carry a heavier burden. When you look at Ephesians, back to verse 3, and it says sexual immorality and all impurity, meaning other sexual sins, or covetousness, you know, to covet. You know, Scripture talks about coveting your neighbor's possessions, covering, co- coveting your neighbor's uh, wife. Um, that, that sexual sin and covetousness um, and idolatry are handcuffed together. Um, sometimes you see in Scripture kind of lists of sins, you know, um, murder, strife, disobeying parents, um, adultery, you know, lists. Here, uh, the, the things that Paul is talking about, he's really specifically talking about the nature of sexual sin. And he's not changing directions when he says covetousness. Um, but that sexual immorality and impurity and being somebody who covets, meaning I have a the, the textbook definition of covetousness is jealous, a jealous longing for what others possess. A jealous longing for what others possess. That there, there, there's a handcuffed nature to, to coveting and idolatry and sexual sin. Um, there's a, a pretty amazing text in the Old Testament. I realize this is kind of heavy. Um, and I want to apologize for it, but it's, uh, it's, it's the word of God. Um, so I don't want to apologize for that. Um, if, I'm not going to read this whole text, but if you want to look at it, it's, it's Ezekiel 16. All right, it's in the Old Testament. The entire chapter of Ezekiel, you know, they have those little subtitles. You know, you can look in them, open up the Bible, and every little section is, is kind of titled. This title here in Ezekiel chapter 16 is The Lord's Faithless Bride. The Lord's faithless bride. And all through scripture, we really see this analogy of the bride of Christ being God's chosen people. Whether it's the children of Israel, or now in the day and age that we live in, which is the, uh, the New, really New Testament era, it's the church. You know, Those of us that have said, uh, we believe in Jesus and what he's done, and we've accepted the, the gift of salvation in our life. That we are the, the body of Christ, and we are the bride of Christ. Uh, so there's this, there's this symbolism that goes really throughout the span of Scripture that talks about God or Jesus um, being the head or being, being the husband, and that the church, we corporately, are the bride of Christ. In Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, gives a parable of sorts, speaking about God's chosen people. And it talks about how God's chosen people um, are born, but uh, born in sin. And the analogy there is that we're, we're, we're dirty and um, on, on the road to death. Um, but that God came in and said, I want you. you you're dirty. You're, it talks about being dirty and bloody um, as an infant, even with, a, with an uncut umbilical cord. 
And that God came in and said, I, I want you. And it says that I'm going to clean you. I'm going to pour water on you. I'm going to wash away all of your blemishes and all the dirt and all the grime and all the filth. And then I'm going to raise you. I'm going to raise you as my own, as my, as my child. And, and, as I, and as, after I clean you and after I raise you, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the finest clothing, the finest robes, the finest jewelry. And I'm going to give you a place to live. I'm going to set you up. I'm going to be your provider. And then as the chapter continues, it says that this uh, bride begins to become infatuated with its own, well, with the beauty that God has given to it. And, and that the bride then turns and begins to look at itself and the things that God has given to it. And that the bride then becomes unfaithful and becomes ungrateful to the great provider, God. And in the ESV which is probably the closest translation that we have to the original languages, uses the word whore 17 times in this text. It uses the word naked, or nakedness, seven times. It says lust. It equates it, the bride, to becoming a prostitute over and over. It talks about multiple lovers, adultery, adulteress. It talks about lewd behavior over and over. And there's the symbol of the bride who has turned away from God and has become filthy and has become all of these horrible things. We're, we're seeing, and, and, it becomes, and, it, and it begins to worship other fathers, other, other gods, and begins building new temples so that it can, it can do these horrible, terrible things. And then God says um, that, that there will be a consequence for that. The, the, you'll be judged. You see, there's a connection here between the, the, the sexual nature of sin and the idolatrous nature of sin, between the, the covetous nature of sin and what it means to, to sin in ways that, that bring greater judgment. It says, and I will judge you as a woman who commits adultery. Oh, this is hard, this is hard language. The great, the, great, the great part of this is that there's redemption. But redemption only comes is when it's needed. <laughs> um, I'll bring upon you uh, the blood of wrath and jealousy, and I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw you down their vaulted chambers, and they will break down your lofty places. They will strip you of your clothes, and they will take your beautiful jewels, and they will leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a crowd against you, and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with swords. And they shall burn your houses and execute judgment upon you in the sight of many women. And I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall also give payment no more. So I will satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and will no more be angry. That the wrath of judgment will fall on the idolatrous. Um, so when Paul addresses the issue of, of sexual sin, he is intentionally making this a big issue, a very serious, a very serious thing. In verse three, he, uh, he very simply says, don't do it. Don't be a part of these things. In uh, verse 4, let's read this. 
in Ephesians 5 verse 4, it says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. So he's essentially saying, don't even talk about it. And definitely, don't joke about it. Like, first of all, don't do it, all right? but don't even let it be part of your conversation. It's off limits. Don't even joke about it. Um, in verse 6, it says, don't be deceived about this. I hope you can see this okay. Can you? Don't be deceived about how serious this is. In verse 7, Therefore do not associate with them. That's all that verse 7 says. Do not associate. Verse 11, Don't take part in these activities. In verse, uh, in verse 12, it says it is shameful even to speak of these things. Don't even speak of them. Um, God, let me... Th- let me try to explain why this is such a serious issue. God doesn't, uh, he doesn't share himself. He doesn't share space. Um, Satan, before he had fallen, was in heaven as, a, as, a, as an angel. And when he sinned, he was, he was cast out. Um, Adam and Eve, uh, when they were in the garden and they sinned, it was a place where they walked with God and, and communed with God, had a relationship with God. They were cast out. Um, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle that was built was a place that you could only go if you had walked through the steps of purification, um, gone through uh, the sacrificial system. And even then, the high priest would wear bells um, so that they could tell if he had been struck dead if in fact he hadn't properly purified himself as he walked into the, the holy place. Um, on into the New Testament, um, you have the uh, temple. And uh, Mark chapter 13 uh, speaks of something that is known as the abomination of desolation, which means that the temple, which is the, the holy place, again, where designed to be the place where God dwells um, will be, will be uh, desolated. The abomination of desolation. And what that means is that um, offerings will be sacrificed to another God in God's house. And, and Mark says when that happens flee to the hills. Run. Pray that this does not happen in winter terrible, terrible watch out for the old folks and the women who are pregnant because they might not be able to get out of town quick enough I mean, strong apocalyptic, almost getting chills, like when this happens when, when somebody else steps into God's place he's done, I can't, I'm, I'm moving out 
or you're moving out. Um, when Jesus tossed the tables in the, in the temple, he said, this is a place of prayer. This is a place where man comes and communes with his God. This is a place where worship happens. And when prostitutes are brought in here, then that becomes the focus of worship. We see um, in first, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, if you're flipping around with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. First Corinthians six thirteen says, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body, our physical body, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Meaning we that we, as individuals, as human beings with physical bodies, are part of the symbolic body of Christ, that we as a group of Christians make up the body of Christ, and Christ is the head, that we do the work of God through the Holy Spirit here on this earth. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee, run, run for the hills from sexual immorality. But every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? Where God dwells. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. That when we sin sexually, we are bringing another God into the temple. That, and, and God doesn't share his space. There's, there's consequence. There's gravity here. And that's the personal side. The, the corporate side is that if, if in our group here, if, if we're, a, we're a microcosm of the body of Christ, and there's sexual immorality, um, it's like having an infection in your hand. You know, It affects the whole body. Ephesians, or 1 Corinthians 12 goes into great detail about how we are all part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ isn't just an, a single eye. We need an ear. We need an eye. We need a foot. We need an arm. We need a hand. We need a chest. We need a knee. Like we're, we all have different roles. And when different members, when different parts of your body have unconfessed sin, which is which is uh, which is dangerous it, it it's like an it's like a sickness it's like an infection you know you can be perfectly fine but if your foot's infected it's, it's just going to be harder to do everything and that's why there's such high levels of you've got to get this out of the body that that you not only can't do it but we don't even want you talking about it 
We don't want it to be part of your joking. We don't want you to be deceived about it. We don't want you to associate with, with people who uh, are in that and are unrepentant. We don't want you to take part of it. We don't, we don't, not even in converse. Stay away. Stay, stay, stay away. Um, back to Ephesians 5. This, to me, even further points to the, to the gravity of this. Look at um, verse 6. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Empty words means that they're telling you something that has no truth behind it. Even as I was preparing for this, my mind kept wanting to say, but surely it's not that bad. Because haven't we all dealt with this in some way? I mean, it says um, Jesus Christ himself um, says in Matthew, uh, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lust intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even if you haven't committed a, a physical sexual sin with your body, sexual sin and sensuality and, in, and, in, and impurity is something that you can still sin against, even in your mind and that nobody knows about, um, even when there's nobody else around, that the sexual sin is present. And I would... I can't imagine that it's not something that we've all dealt with in, 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 in some way. Some may be major, some may be minor, but it's still... And, and it says, beware, beware, beware of people with empty words who say it's not that big of a deal. And in my mind, I'm like, but there's still forgiveness, you know, and there's this and there's that, and like, can't we all just move on? And it, but it says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is going to fall down. So it's not only saying, beware, beware, beware. There, there, there's, there's, there's a heaviness and a gravity to this particular type of sin. But then it says, but don't be deceived by empty words. Now, obviously, you know, this, 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 this point is over, overspoken. We know. We know that the culture does not live by this. You know? It, it, we know the culture does not live by this. So I don't, I, I just don't know, unless you pop in a Christian movie, if you can watch a movie or a TV show that doesn't have somebody living together that's not married, you know, or some homosexual couple, or some dirty joking or dying, and everything, you know what I mean? And it's a, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a numbing effect that, that, that leads to death, <laughs> I don't want to say this in too judgmental of a way, but when um, Modern Family came on TV, I watched it and I laughed hard. And um, sitcom. And I remember sitting there on my couch once thinking that the bulk of my laughter is because I really think that gay couple was hilarious. Um, it's Modern Family, right? That's what it is. And I remember thinking, like the rest, like whenever they kind of came onto the screen, like I was laughing, you know, I was enjoying the show. And I remember thinking, like, where's the lion, Danny? 
I, I'm, I am bringing myself to be entertained almost purely by something that is, that is pretty seriously addressed in Scripture, and I'm using it for my joy. And um, I'm, not, I'm not a TV hater. I love the movies. And so I don't want to make a statement of like, I, I was convicted, and I stopped watching it. Because um, I was just finding my, my laughter out of forbidden, you know what I mean? For, forbidden behavior. And it's not just homosexuality, but, I mean, it, it, it's, it's sexual immorality and all impurity. Um, Paul is making a big deal out of this. Um, I think part of the reason why this is such a hard issue is because every single one of us are created with sex drive. It's, it's built into us. Um, so it's always present. It's not like, you know, I might have a drug problem and so I want to get rid of all my friends that do that, you know? It is with us when we're alone in our room, you know? We can travel to Canada and it's there with us. You know, we can be sitting in a meeting. It's there with us. It's an issue that, as believers, we have to acknowledge first and see what Scripture has to say. How do we take this thing called the sex drive and live in a godly way? Because there are huge consequences if, if we don't. And there's a call throughout Scripture um, to live a life in control. And I, I want to explain that a little bit. Look, let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8. It says, finally then, brothers, meaning all believers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions that we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you will continue to grow in Christlikeness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Again, verse 4, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Jump to verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, set apartness. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That a Christ-like life must be a life that is lived in community with the body of Christ and that is consistently going and looking at the mirror of the Word of God. When Lauren and I got married, Buster said in, our, in the ceremony, um, he said, Danny, Lauren... You together 
need to go to God every day. Every day. And he said, if you do that, you're going to be okay. And what Buster was saying is that, that, that what perseverance looks like in the life of a believer, that continuing on in the life of a believer means that there is a continual falling on your face at the cross saying, I need, I need. That when we go to the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, we get what we need. And so often, that might not happen every day, but might ha- happen every third day or every fourth day. And we've all seen this before. Next thing you know, it might be once a week, once every two weeks, where you really legitimately, in your own personal walk with Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about just reading your Bible, but actually go before your God and say, I need you. I, I, need, I, I need you to give me what I'm lacking to make it through my day, through my temptation to, to stay strong. And when none of us were ever created to be an island, that we need the body of Christ and we need other people in our junk. You know, we, we, we need it. We, we were, we're the body. You know, the, the, it wasn't designed to have a hand sitting on a shelf by itself. We need each other. And working together is how the body moves and how the body gets stronger. That we need all of these pieces in our life. Um, First John 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even though there's a gravity to this, there is forgiveness. And I know that as I'm speaking about these things, it's easy to feel heavy or guilty because of either past sins or maybe current sins. Um, you know that section in, in Ezekiel that I read? It talked about the judgment. It goes on. It says this. This is back to the story of the, of the faithless bride that God came in and cleaned up and she turned and, and, and turned into a, 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 a whore prostitute, it says. Thus says the Lord, I will deal with you as you've done. You've despised the oath, breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And you may remember and be confounded or amazed at the gravity of your sin. And that you may never open your mouth again of your shame. But when I atone you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. Atone. What it means to atone is to make right. To take a wrong and pay the judgment and make it right. Which is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Is he made it right. He took, this is supposed to be bad. And, and Paul describes it as such. And I, we talked about this on the last retreat. But this, a simple pendulum 
says that when we see the gravity of our sin, when we see the seriousness of sin that God puts on it, that there's always a corresponding result to the goodness of God. Does that make sense? When we see God as, when we see our sin as this bad, then we see God as this good. If we see our sin as this bad, then God is only this good. Does that make sense? When we see our sin as, as horrible and filthy and, 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 and wretched and uh, like, like, a, like a prostitute to an adoptive father, and then he says, you know what? I'm still going to keep my covenant with you, and I'm going to send my son, my son, and he will die, and his blood will shed, and through the shedding of his blood, your filth will be washed. And not only will it be washed away, but there'll be no, I, I will see it no more. So it's, if I were to sin against Lauren in a, in a sexual way and she decided to forgive me, there would still be that in my past, you know? There's still that there in my past, even if she's forgiven me. But what the work of Christ has done in its complete nature is it said it has not only taken away the guilt of what you have done, but it has reassigned it to somebody else who's paid the price for you, Jesus. And then it has, and it has reassigned you to a status of fallen, to a status of son and daughter that now gets inheritance. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, where we started. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We, those that are Christ's followers, have been redeemed of our most egregious sins. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which is what we're talking about, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things to him. Things in heaven and things on earth. When can you, when can you use the word lavished in a bad way? You know, he lavished on us his goodness and his grace and his redemption and his forgiveness. And the purity that was once Christ has been transferred to us. The, the, the scope of, of God's plan that we see in Ephesians is that there's a plan of redemption that goes throughout the course of all time and that we, by grace alone, have been brought into that. And the fact that we have been brought into his redemptive plan and, and, and made new and made clean and brought into his family and given his inheritance comes along with it the responsibility for us to know the serious nature of sin that can corrupt the temple, you, as a, a Christ follower. That we need to know and understand the seriousness of sin that can infect his body and its sins of a sexual nature. And so, I think the more we see that, the more we see 
the more sweet the cross comes, becomes. Buster, one of his Busterisms is that every sin that you have, say 25 looks at the cross. And as we looked at the story in Ezekiel, we're not supposed to live a life of guilt if we've been washed by the blood of Christ. Um, but we are supposed to know the gravity of past sins and thus have that corresponding awe to the gospel that those things can and have been taken from us and will not be held against us if we've confessed them, if we have repented of them and, and, and cast them on the cross. So I know that this is probably, I mean, and there's no way around this being easy, But Paul is talking to these new believers in Ephesians saying there is a danger of infection here. Understand it. And the gospel is sweet. Look at at how this section of Ephesians ends. In uh, verse 14, there's a little quote there you see in in the text. Ephesians 14, anyone... You move beyond. It says, for anyone that becomes visible is light, therefore it says... This is not a particular Old Testament reference. Um, they, they say maybe uh, it was a hymn um, with Old Testament uh, allusions. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For those of you that are dead in your sin, for those of you that are asleep in your sin, for those of you that, that have not had the light shine on you, turn to Christ and the light will turn on. Turn to Christ, and you will go from sleeping to awake. Go, turn to Christ, and you'll go from death to life. Turn to Christ, and you will arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you and make you new and bring you into his family and treat you as a son and daughter and give you an inheritance and provide his Holy Spirit to walk with you and lead you down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As we looked at at Connect on Wednesday night, Thursday night. I think that we should have one of two responses to this. If you have unconfessed sin of a sexual nature, I think you need to repent um, and confess it. That is an open door to you through the Word of God and through the work of Christ on the cross. Um, If you have it in your past and you have confessed of it and you have repented, you should have a smile on your face and rejoice in the gospel. And as we fight this as a body, that's why we need each other. That's why you need to be in a community group. That's why you need to be consistently in the word. That's why daily, as Buster said, we need to go to Jesus in your own personal quiet times. The gospel is good, uh, and it only gets better the more clearly we see sin. And that's the call of the believer. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray, Father, that uh, that this, though it is a lot and, and, and heavy, Father, that the goodness and the glory of the gospel will be the truth that wins the day in our life. Father, I know that there are those uh, that have struggled and have regret. Father, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus. I thank you that you knew it. And Father, that you sent Christ to pay for it, and it has been paid for.
Father, every single one of us has a list. And Father, you know it. We were never designed to get to heaven by ourselves, but only by the work of somebody else, which is Christ. And we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for it. We thank you for the goodness of the gospel. And Father, please help us as we live tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, that we would fall and look at the cross 25 times and just be in awe. In Jesus' name, amen.